Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is sponsored by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts and vehicles, coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years, means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast. Getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hopheads, pastry boys, sour sisters. And the rest of you, me immortals, and welcome aboard the Hazy Hype Train. Poop, poop. That's right, folks. This week on the Hot 4 podcast, we're talking all about hype beers. Beer fans in the 21st century have never had it so good. Okay, think of a beer style. Go on, just pluck one out of thin air. Paddy, if you're listening to this, you'll be really good at this. Okay, right. Thought one? Right, say it out loud. Mm, 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 mm. Sounds good, doesn't it? Bet if you type that string of words into untapped, you'll find it several times over. I remember late back in the 90s being invited by my friend Russ to a camera beer festival. A girl he was dating at the time had a dad who homebrewed beer, wore thick rimmed spectacles and had a beard. Already, I know what you're thinking. He sounds like the archetypal modern day hipster. Did I mention he wore a shirt that highly promoted a large beer belly that protruded over his beige pleated trousers like a cliff overhang and wore sandals with socks? Ah, one of those camera members, the original type. Anyway, all these casks at this beer festival were lined upon tables where people served warm, flat beer into half-pint glasses before crossing off dozens of tokens from my book and yelling over the general cacophony why she just wiped out half my stash in one fell swoop in words I could barely make out, let alone understand. And yet at the time, this myriad of similar brown beers with a deep hue, grassy aromas and herbal flavours blew my tiny fragile eggshell mind. This was different to the pints of Tetley I'd become accustomed to or the hoe garden with a slice of lime I viewed as a speciality beer. I can't begin to imagine the citra-induced coma my 18-year-old self would have faced should Doc Brown have taken me back to the future in his DeLorean to the middle of Shoreditch and down the Bourbon Beer Mile. 
I still find it hard to believe that beers like the pomegranate Berlin advice or the double peach candy popcorn sour or the maple bacon coffee porter exist, let alone the macadamia white chocolate stout or the Yorkshire pudding best bitter, all of which are real beers and exist in the realms and dominion of the hypercraft overlords that dominate untapped Twitter and on various forums on social media. Now, I know what you're thinking. Those beers sound flipping awesome. And they do. They, they, they really do. And whatever fill-in-the-blank brewery makes a dipper with a sexy new hop variety or releases their barrel-age blended mixed firms, you can guarantee without a shadow of a doubt that the untapped massive will be pushing little old ladies out of the way just to be seen with the latest wax top bomber. But why do beer styles and breweries like these command such reverence among a faithful few? Why are certain breweries upheld as the saviors of craft beer, while others who make equally good, if not better beers, don't get a look in? And what makes one brewery seem more appealing and desirable over another? While many would argue that this has got nothing to do with marketing and branding, to an extent it has everything to do with marketing and branding. I once spoke to a brewer who worked for a much revered brewery tell me that another brewery approached them about white labelling a particular beer, a very distinct and well-known beer, but with their own branding. The brewery in question agreed, and after its release, the untapped trolls emerged from under their bridges in droves to hail this brewery's hyped beer, and yet slander the exact same beer with a different label as a cheap rip-off and, quote-unquote, not even close. Often when it comes to hype, there's little reason or rhyme behind it. The brewers themselves usually shy away from this Beatlesque mania that surrounds the highly sought after and hotly debated beers. All the while, beers you drink rather than beers you experience go quietly unnoticed, just doing their thing. These are the accompaniment to conversations rather than the focus of it. It's funny how there is a sense of frustration among many brewers surrounding hype beers. While on a deep, intrinsic level, we all know that hype is just that, it's hype. A vacuous, here today, gone tomorrow, and yet somehow we still get sucked into its vortex. But how do we separate beers that are really worth celebrating from the surrounding noise? And how do we talk about these breweries without seemingly just jumping on the bandwagon? Because some breweries are really worth talking about. One brewer that has been around the block and witnessed this firsthand is American Bo Shiner. Bo is a brewer at Norway's Ausman in Trondheim. Having worked at various craft breweries, including the Savanger-based renowned brewery Lervig, he has been subject to it all. In this discussion, we dig down deep into why certain breweries and their beers receive over-attention, praise and are hyped, while others go largely unnoticed. We talk about the habits and behaviours of avid beer fans and throw ideas around about how marketing plays into the hands of all of this. Now, humour me if you will and recall the beer style you said out loud earlier, if you still can. And if you've forgotten, I think that summarises hype beers. But while you're racking your brains, it's time for this week's... Now, having said all that, I think it's right that some breweries 
get people excited and people talk about because under all the noise there's just something there and I, and I guess that feeds into the whole hype thing and why why people get hyped up about these sort of things but the couple that run this week's brewery shout out would never subscribe to that themselves they just get on doing what they do and are the most down-to-earth lovely people you will ever meet and I'm of course I'm talking about the brewery of St Mars of the desert Dan and Martha don't know I'm giving them a little shout out so hopefully this will be a nice little surprise but St Mars of the desert if you don't know are a Sheffield based brewery in an industrial area called Attercliffe and people just flock from far and wide to their great little tap room and to try their fantastic beers if you can get hold of them and they're very very hard to get hold of in fact just whilst being on the website one of them has sold out <laughs> um so you have to get in there while you can but if you've not had their beers make sure you seek them out because i personally think these beers are second to none they are utterly fantastic so beers range from everything from New England IPAs such as Clamp, um, which unfortunately is just sold out, uh, but Festoon, which is a New England IPA with grapefruit zest, is still available at the time of recording. Babalu is an imperial Russian stout. You're not going to find almonds and marshmallows and squirrels or anything else in it. It's just a straight up imperial Russian stout and it is absolutely fantastic. And if you can get hold of any Urchin Brun, which is a rich, dark Belgian-style beer with sweet orange peel, I highly suggest that you do. So if you want to get hold of some beers from a true family-run artisanal brewery located in the famous beer city of Sheffield and become part of the Smod Squad, then I highly recommend you head over to Beer of Smod, that's S-M-O-D, so that's beerofsmod.co.uk and lay your hands on those absolute beauties so check out brewery of st mars of the desert that's this week's shout out as usual you can follow us on all the socials at hot forward beers and connect with us on both linkedin and through our growing facebook community just search for hot forward in the facebook groups and you'll find us there Head over to hotforward.beer to check out some of the work we do with breweries, bottle shops, bars and businesses in the world of drinks and hospitality. And finally, I'd like some input from you, the listener. Like you, I've had to pivot my business activities due to COVID-19 and I want to serve the brewing and beer industry the best I can. I'm considering launching a Patreon page which will have exclusive content, monthly webinars on topics such as sales, branding, marketing and business development, including guests on technical topics such as brewing and dispense. And I would love to know whether that is something you would support for a small monthly amount. Obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes in creating this sort of content, so I want to ensure that I'm not adopting an If you build it, they will come attitude only for them not to come so if you're a regular listener please would you do me a massive favor and send me a tweet a facebook message a homing pigeon or just email nick at hotford.beer and let me know whether that is something that would be of interest to you i would really really appreciate that right while you're doing all that and still trying to recall that crazy beer style you invented earlier Here's this week's session with Bo Shiner from Alstman Brewery in Trondheim, Norway, talking all about brewery hype. 
What's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, good. Good, good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. It's COVID. It's, uh, it's... <laughs> Say no more. So you're furloughed, aren't you, you were saying? I am. I am. So how's, how's furloughing going for you at the moment? It's uh, it's okay. I think I'm going stir crazy, like a lot of uh, a lot of brewers, uh, anxious to get back to work, and kind of uh, all of us that are a little bit uh, OCD and workaholics. Mm. It's it's hard to sit still, Nick. Yeah, and you've got kids as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got two little boys, so I've been doing homeschooling uh, with them, um, and. Uh, it's been it's been good, but they're they're back to work, so uh, or they're back to school, so I'm I'm kind of uh, mopping the floors at my house a lot, actually, <laughs> pretending that's a brewery floor, imagining <laughs> the hop slurry <laughs> going down the drain. <laughs> Install some trench drains, and I'll be set. So for our, for our listeners, Bo, who may be unfamiliar with yourself and Ausman, because just before we were recording, you were telling me about some of your extensive history of brewing. Can you give us a bit of background about yourself, um, you know, what you've been up to over these many years in the world of beer, and, and then a little bit about Ausman as a brewery and what kind of setup you've got there and so on? Yeah, so I came over to, uh, I came over to Norway um, in, I guess, 2008. And uh, I took a job at uh, Lervig, um, which is in uh, Stavanger, Norway. And by kind of, um, we call it a battlefield promotion. Uh, people left, people, uh, people got injured. Uh, I, I ended up being the sole, uh, the sole person at Lervig for about three months and uh, had to figure out how to run this absolute monster of a system uh, it's like a 25 30,000 liter system uh, on on my own um so it's one of those uh one of those hard learning learning processes when somebody tells you like oh man you know the best best lessons are the the ones hard learned and that that is not true man the best lessons are the ones where somebody takes their time to show you how things are done and you remember it, and you do it right the first time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I had a lot of a lot of burns and a lot of mistakes and a lot of doing things twice. But I, um, I got it figured out. Um, I left uh, Lervig, I think, in about twenty. I want to say twenty fifteen, maybe no, twenty fourteen. Um, and uh, I think that's the right date. But. Um, and moved up to Trondheim. I took a job for a small uh, Carlsberg uh, kind of uh, subsidiary called um, EC Dolls, which is also now a craft brewery. Um, and just did some brewing on their big system. A lot of fun. Uh, kind of a cool, mellow job to work at. Did a little bit of consulting, uh, helping some small breweries just figure out recipes and get their systems dialed in. And then, um, and then I've been buddies with the guys at Ausman for a while. They had a job open up, and um, they make banging beer. And uh, so I took the job. At the time, they were working in recycled uh, dairy containers. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was which is awesome for anybody who's ever home brewed. It was like that, only shittier. <laughs> it was uh, like, like uh, it was, uh, you know, it was. 
temperature control was variable. Um, but you know, that just goes along with knowing your system. Luckily the, one of the owners who's the active, uh, acting, uh, brewmaster had worked on that system at another brewery and he had a really good feel for it. And, you know, just, just knowing the equipment really helped us to make uh, good beer. We had open fermenters, which, uh, for those of you who have brewed in open fermenters, kind of you you live in a constant state of fear but it's an amazing way to brew like yeah. <laughs> you you get to know your yeast and your your ingredients and then um in uh oh uh, two years ago um Oustman, uh was actually 50% bought by a bigger brewery called Hansaborg which is the second largest brewery in Norway and they used the, the the money to actually buy a much bigger brew house. Um, so they bought a run a, a three thousand uh, liter kit now, um, which uh, which is it's a three vessel three vessel system. Um, we have six uh, six six thousand liter fermenters, um, and it's it's a really it's a really beautiful system. But then something, so we brewed, I brewed on that and then something kind of amazing um, happened and we, <laughs> during COVID there was uh, the owners and the owners of the big brewery just kind of decided that the, the, their directions had changed and uh, the owners of the brewery I work at now scraped together the finances and then bought their shares back from <laughs> the big brewery and went independent again. Wow. Um, so we're, we're very, very early in the stages of, of that. And we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens And um, yeah, that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. I guess, uh, I'm a Taurus. I like long walks in the rain, coffee in the morning. So you, you, what you just said there about the, um, brewery owners buying the brewery back really kind of ties into what I wanted to talk about today, sort of about hype and sort of craft beer fans and how the whole thing kind of ties in together like normally obviously that flow only goes in one direction the brewery grows so big and then it gets um bought out by someone else or there's a minority of majority investor whatever you know the school we're all familiar with how that kind of works in various settings um you know and, and when that happens the the beer nuts in particular kind of go into meltdown like you know twitter breaks for the day because someone sells out someone else but when it goes in reverse like, how do all those people... I don't know if it's the same in Norway as it is in the, the UK and the States, um, but, like, when it goes in reverse, do people kind of... How do people respond? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a, it's it's interesting because we're still pretty early into this into this stage, but, you know, so far it's been... It's been, it's been really positive, which is... It's interesting because, you know, even when we were bought out, we were still making the same beer. Like, uh, we made the same beer during, during our time, um, in the, the independence thing. Um, I don't know, I, I can't, I hope that it helps our label. I know that, and this is, a, we're, we're a little bit more accepted now within our own community, mm. within the brewery community, you know, like, but it's, it's, it's a, it's. I haven't ever heard of another brewery doing this, to be honest, Nick, like going from a big brewery back to an independent brewery. So it's kind of uncharted territory. 
I can just imagine people being like, I'm never drinking Hobby Blonde again, ever. And then he goes independent again. It's like, I always love Hobby Blonde. <laughs> Such a great beer. I've always loved it. I've always loved Absolute. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the truth of the story right there, man. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny because I mean, and I, I I love I love craft beer and I love independent craft beer, but you know nobody's really doing this to uh, to stay poor their whole lives. Nobody is. Uh, hopefully, we're, we're all able to make a, a living making beer. Otherwise, your brewery goes bust. So there's a lot of you know there's a lot of flack that gets given to these guys that, you know, sell portions of their brewery, but it's like, man, there's, there's also, you have to be able to eat. You have to be able to, to pay your staff. You have to be able to grow, make investments in your infrastructure. Well, and, uh, it's like, um, Tony McGee talking about Lagunitas, how they got to the point with, their brewery where you know they had a lot of money in the business and then obviously you know they they sold half it to heineken and they they were able to you know give a lot of employee perks childcare on site and all the rest of it and so it's very easy to point at large breweries and companies and be like oh bad horrid wrong meh you know and don't get me wrong there there are things about global companies that are aren't great but then on the other hand, you know, HR is generally much better in breweries like that. Then yeah. you hear a lot more horror stories from small independent breweries and how some owners of those breweries treat their staff than you do from a big global company where Absolutely. there's systems in place and, and safeguards for employees. And yeah, it's, it's I, I think the world of beer in, in some ways can have total double standards, which I think is really sad. Yep. And there's, there's, I agree with you on that, Nick. And there's, you know, there are breweries out there that treat their employees really right, really fairly. And, um, you know, a, a good example is New Belgium. They got people hung flack on New Belgium uh, for selling recently. Mm. But what people don't realize is, you know, that was an employee owned company. There was there was a there was a guy this uh, Latino dude who worked on the canning line, there had been there for like fifteen years. That guy walked away with like a million bucks <laughs> from that, and he still had his job afterwards. Like he just didn't own the brewery anymore. But like, I'm sure he was uh, he was not unhappy about their their loss of uh, their loss of independence. And I'm sure New Belgium is going to make the same beer on the same equipment that they. That they've always made. Yep. So, so look, look, looking at hype then, because we were discussing this a little bit in our um, messenger exchanges over the last few weeks. Like, wh- why do you think so much hype exists uh, surrounding certain breweries? That's a that's a really that's a really good question, and it's it's a hard one to to answer. I mean, some of it is based just on having purely having a kick ass product. And we know some of those places that have that one, that one amazing flagship beer, and in, in you drink it, and your mind is just blown. Like from from our our viewpoint as as professionals in the industry, when you drink that one beer, and you're like, "How the hell did they do this? <laughs> yeah. This is magnificent!" You know, like 
and then um and then they can kind of ride ride that train for for a little while um so sometimes too it comes from having a really small dedicated community um you know like uh just having serving your beer at your bar to your fans for the first couple of weeks can drive up the ratings on a beer to the point where it's it's uh it's it's mind-blowing but um there's also yeah that would be that would be my kind of opinion my opinion on on what generates it sometimes it's good it's a good good design or the way or sometimes even a controversial um title or a, co- a controversial beer uh not like yellow belly obviously got it it was controversial after the fact but mm-hmm. that that hype did not hurt that beer at all that that controversy um so yeah that's a it's hard but it, you know as i always say for me um i don't really pay for beer so my opinion my opinion on it is is based sure, solely on uh, what beer tastes like mm. rather than what it looks like you know yeah I mean, do you think hype over certain breweries and beers is, is a good thing by and large or a bad thing or? Oh, boy. Um, it, this really, this really depends. I mean, obviously it's a good thing for, for the, for the breweries, but, um, when the, when you're expected to make that kind of repetitive of a, of a great product, just over and over again, it can be really stressful. And those, uh, like in Norway, we have a very small market here. There's 5 million people in the entire country. Um, so when you make a, a hype beer, the problem with uh, the beer nerd community is they might drink that beer once or twice, but they're not going to go out and buy a six pack of it every yeah. every weekend. And we've we've worked ourselves into this predicament um, where we we're constantly giving them new things, and this is uh, it, we means we constantly have to make new things. Sorry. No, well, I think that's interesting because that ties into my next question: is why why do you think some breweries fall into that trap of solely trying to produce hype beers when, in actuality? The beers that often sell the most and are most profitable for a company are the ones where no one is standing on the street corner with their megaphone and sandwich board waving their phone in the air and their untapped badge yelling, I drank it first. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know about, about you, Nick, but like me, whenever I go into a brewery, whenever I'm visiting another brewer, if they have Pilsner on, on draft... I will always try another brewery's Pilsner. You know, mm. it's like the, it's that beer where you're like, there's nowhere to hide. You can tell the quality of a brewer in their Pilsner. And it's, Absolutely. And, and it's pleasant and it's a pleasant, it's a pleasant beer to drink, you know? And I, I, you know, it's kind of almost sacrilege in our community to be like, ah, yeah, man, I really like a good Pilsner. But um, we, we recently released a Pilsner and boy, it does okay on untapped, but it sells about. It, it's it's definitely our best 
our best-selling beer. Um, nobody is tooting their horn about like how great our Pilsner is, <laughs> but it's keeping the lights turned on. I think if you're a brewer or a beer drinker, or whatever, and you appreciate lagers as a beer style, you, you've transcended, in my opinion. Yes, you know, yeah. you, you, you've you've reached Yoda-like status. You are, you are wise, young Padawan. For <laughs> you know, for because I I love lagers, you know, and I I when I taste good ones in particular, you know, I I can I can particularly when they're clean and they're crisp. And they're not riddled with diacetyl or excessive sulfur, and which a lot of quote unquote craft lagers are. You know, when when ale producing breweries have turned their hands to lagers, and I've tasted a lot um, over the last year or so of, of lagers like that. But when you get ones which are good, they're just phenomenal, I think. Um, but like you say, no one's going to stand up there and and you know wave the jimmy johnson around being like check out a bit my, i've had a pilsner give me my untapped badge you know as opposed to you know oh yes check out i was the first to drink the blueberry waffle cream imperial whiskey barrel aged smoked stout that's that is it that's exactly it the the two beers that i've mentioned before uh one the hoppy blonde is just it's a very basic, uh, it's a basic beer, single hop citra. Uh, there's, I think it's, uh, it's, there's about, it's pale and maybe 30% wheat malt uh, mm. in there, malted wheat. And um, yeah, man. Um, and it's, it's good. It's, it's a good beer in, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I will see people buy six of them. They'll buy six of them. They're not going to write home to their their family, like you said, stand on the street corner and wave like, oh, I've had this amazing revolutionary beer. But they're also buying six as opposed to one. Yeah. And um, and and it's it's I'm I'm proud of that beer. It's a good it's a good beer. It's not I didn't we as a as brewers, we didn't break any. um. We didn't break any 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 new territory. We didn't do anything revolutionary. We just brewed a very solid beverage, and um, and it's it's helped us. Um, just going back to that that question uh, really quick about about hype. Some of that has to do with scale too. You know, if you if you're running a 500 liter brewery, it's so much easier. To build a, to to brew a one-off beer like a, your your blueberry uh, dolphin nose pistachio cupcake uh, stout at 500 liters than it is to brew it at 3,000 liters. Yeah. And some of our highest, you know, our 4.3 be- uh, uh, star on untapped beers are our highest rated beers on untapped have been the beers that we have sat on for the longest time that have sat in our warehouse just because of the volume that we're brewing at, you know, like, uh, it's, it's pretty hard when you put a big stout like that on, on at a bar and you're selling it in, you know, shot glasses Mm. to get rid of an entire keg. I think this is a perception thing as well. Cause I know when I first got into the beer industry and then started brewing commercially, you know, I was very lured by the breweries I looked up to 
in the UK and beyond, you know, the, the, the craft breweries doing um, double IPAs and those imperial stouts and stuff. So I was always banging on the drum of we need to be brewing more of these beers and so on. And, and the director of the brewery I worked at was like, no, you know, we like we need to nail the blonde beer, the 4.2% blonde and or, the, you know, the sessionable IPA or whatever, you know, just just let's just create a flagship beer. And I was like, yeah, I, I totally agree, but we need to be brewing these exciting beers and stuff. And he was like, yeah, but they don't sell. And we had this massive kind of constant tug and tussle between, you know, the, those opinions because it, it, in some ways, is both and. But like you say, that the bigger you get, you, you are just going to end up sitting on that stock. I mean, do you, do you think with that kind of perception you have that, oh, everyone's drinking those massive stouts like do you, do you think some breweries create a rod for their own backs when they start producing stuff like cranberry sauce ipas or yorkshire pudding pancake mixed stouts infused with pork sausages and garden peas you know <laughs> yeah i i i do and there's uh there's uh there's a real like one of uh one of my favorite my favorite breweries in the uk is actually uh uh the colonel oh and yeah everyone loves it's, the colonel it's just their beers are consistent they're solid they're like i know i have never had a beer from them where i've i've had it and been like oh well they fucked that up most of the time it's like <laughs> the sentences it's, you'll never connect with the curdle and that is one of them <laughs> yeah that's that's it or, or you know i i don't know about about you but um whenever i'm at a festival where the colonel is and they have their table beer on like I've had variations of table beer, but when you see like a a three point two just solid brewed pale ale, and it's it's this beautiful like oh I've been bombarded by um, molasses and maple syrup and uh, and lactose for for hours. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong, Nick, I I love those beers too, but I can only I can only drink so many of them before my taste buds are shot and then you just get this this beautifully clean clean brewed uh beer and um uh, sorry for for skipping a lot around a little bit on that on that question but um when it comes to these like hype breweries um you work yourself and i've i've been this guy before you work yourself into a scenario where you can't create the same thing twice mm. because it won't sell. You sell one batch and it goes like wildfire. It's out the door. And then the owners see that it's out the door and they go, we got to make that again. It sold amazingly and you make it twice. And that one sells really well. And then by the time you make it the third time, everybody's had their one bottle of it. They've gone on untapped or their one can of it. They've gone on untapped and they rated it. And the third time you make it, it sits in your warehouse for months because nobody's willing to sell it. And then you're stuck in this situation like, oh, I've got to make something new and exciting and creative. I I, I think we made, you know, one one year, it was like 80 or 90 different varieties of beer in that year just to keep people and some of them were tremendous successes and some of them were 
I, I, I shouldn't say this as, as a brewer, but like it was, it, let's just say it wasn't my proudest moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, but I got, and it's the same with you. I got to experiment a lot, but that that um, you you work yourself into uh, into a, a scenario where you um, th- your clientele, your customers are they're always expecting something new and exciting from you, which is which is great because most of us that are brewers have this this ability to do that, but there's no consistency in the the marketplace for something that you just know is a workhorse and it's going to be like, it's going to sell the same amount and it's predictable every month. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So how has a brewery like Ausman then navigated the line between having that mass appeal whilst doing those more exciting beer styles? So that that is uh, that's a really good question too because I, I think it's something we're all pretty proud of at at Austin. Um we so there's there's three of us uh, who who brew there. One of the owners who's Anders Cooper. Um, he's a very accomplished brewer, amazing dude, and he he likes to brew uh, very kind of traditional styles of beers um he likes to brew exciting stuff too but like you know he he loves his uh he loves his beers from like um oh like his triples and his uh and his his box and uh i love a good buck yeah man that see this is in and then you have um myself like coming from the u.s you know obviously ipas are kind of my bread and butter uh, imperial stouts, but I also I really I really like brewing pilsner. I, I like the I like the science and the art. I like the fact that it's a very naked beer, and I have I have nowhere to hide. If you screw up, like it's like uh, it's like a challenge. And then we have uh, we have our our uh, our our third brewer um, who's only ever brewed for us, uh, Vega Knudsen. And he's kind of taken a little bit of both Anders and I's style of brewing. And so we're, we're able to cover a pretty wide spectrum. And what we did is we we divided right along those lines. Uh, we made grocery store strength beer, which in Norway is 4.7. Anything over that, you have to go to a special store. So we make these 4.7 beers that um, they appeal to the masses. Um, and... They're still craft beer and they're still great, but they're what I like to call a six-pack beer. Mm. You know, there there's something that's affordable enough, both cost-wise for us to make. Um, you know, we're not putting 18 grams of hops into a 4.7 beer, um, but they're they're different enough and unique enough, um, refreshing, uh, interesting. Interesting enough to be purchasable, but very, very approachable and non-offensive. And then we branched off and we make these other beers that are, we make them in smaller batches. And they're the attention getters. They're the, they're the ones that come in 44 centiliter cans or, or, uh, or bottles, you know, the 11 and a half percent maple imperial stouts and the, the, uh, I think you had a can of the blood and thunder, and you summed you summed it up uh, just just perfectly. It's got a that beer is um, 
like I really enjoy it, but I, I'm good for about two of those, and then I'm kind of like, all right, you know. It was uh, it was pretty crantastic. <laughs> Dude, that was that was, that was the. <laughs> We did that. We did that with uh, Heist Brewing from Sheffield, and had a great time brewing with those guys. They're, they're, they're super enthusiastic, and I, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, Funnily but, enough, um, one of their best beers is a Kolsch. They do. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit! I had their Kolsch, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was a great beer. Um. It was, yeah. Like, because that's another beer that's easy to mess up. Like you can you can mess up a Kolsch, man. Yeah, I mean they brew some pretty out there styles, um, but they did this Kolsch for one of the local football teams, and it's just it's absolutely absolutely spot on. Bang. You know, every yeah. time I've had it, you know, from different batches, it's just like you've really nailed these guys. Oh man, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 funny. Um, we for a long time we were kind of in that that Oustman is a brewery. We were in that situation where, you know, we weren't going to make Pilsner because Pilsner, Pilsner isn't craft. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not acceptable by the craft community. You know, it's not, it was outside of our normal, our normal kind of mindset. And then, uh, yeah, man, we, uh, I say we, but I, I actually had nothing to do with that. It was actually Anders uh, Cooper who wrote the recipe for it, and he just he just nailed it. And it's this beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful like uh, it's it's a beautiful pilsner, um, just slightly hoppy but well made. And it and it uh, <laughs> yeah, it's now our best our best selling beer. Mm. Um, and. People come in and, you know, every once in a while you get the beer nerd who's like, oh, Pilsner, no thank you, you know. And then and then you get the other guy who's not the beer nerd and goes, I will have three of those, please. And then yeah. comes back and goes, that was really good. Could I get three more? And and they're drinking by the pint as opposed to the sample glass. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, John Keeling, who was head brewer at Fuller's, uh, once said about London Pride that it's only when you get to the end of your third pint of London Pride and think I'll have another one of those and go back to your fourth <laughs> that you really start to appreciate how good that beer is and um, yeah I, I think that's so true um, something I want to ask actually uh, when you mentioned about um, supermarket beers and you know f- f- um, anything over 4.7% alcohol by volume goes to a specialist store so it like if there's if a brewer brews something that's four point eight, can a supermarket not sell it in Norway? Does it have to be under a certain ABV? So, or? so we have a a point two percent kind of realm of leniency. If you say four point seven, it should be four point seven. Yeah. If it's four point eight, they're like eh, four point nine. You might get a little bit of a talking to if it gets tested. But yeah, anything over four point seven, uh, it can't be sold at the grocery store, um, which it goes to what they call the vinapola, which actually translates to wine monopoly. Right. And and it's a state-run liquor store, um, and it's a it's a really tricky thing because you miss this whole range of beer there between four point seven and let's say five point. Nobody really wants to buy that beer because, you know, at that point, they might as well pay less for a 4.7. 
or if they're going there, they want a 6.5 IPA, you know? And you miss this window of these really beautiful beers. Um, like a lot of beers coming from uh, the Netherlands, Germany, even the UK, fall in that, that window where it's like, well, it's not, it's too strong to be in the grocery store, but it's not strong enough to, to, to kind of uh, justify a trip to a special liquor store to buy, to buy it. Because when you told me about the, the percentage thing of the supermarket, so my, my initial thought until you've just told me what you told me was, um, oh, well, you know, it's it must be reckless and irresponsible of UK supermarkets to be selling, you know, some of these um, big hitters, you know, in a supermarket of 8.5% and so on. Not, not that I'm complaining because there's some great beers in certain <laughs> supermarkets at the moment. Um, you know, uh, whereas obviously Norway have got it more sensible. But if anything it's kind of like well if there's that window in some ways it's almost promoting from those specialty beer stores that you go for the big hitters you know rather than just being like oh fancy an ipa that's 5.2 percent yeah that's it that's such a that that's that's also another really valid point um it's it's sometimes and you get you guys uh you guys at home who are listening to this and you too nick when you when you look at like again the beer beer nerds beers Basically, the higher ABV, the higher a beer will rate. And I don't know how to do, like, I'm not a psychologist on that. But I know as soon as you get over over the 10% mark, all of a sudden the stars just start 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 skyrocketing, you know. Uh, a 10% beer is good. An 11% beer is really good. A 12% beer people will go crazy even if it tastes like jet fuel with the aftertaste of burning <laughs> people will still like be like that was amazing and you're like i, I don't it, maybe like you know it's everyone has their own opinion but you you really lose you lose some of these these magnificent um like man you guys in the uk you guys do some amazing stouts not imperial stouts, not like not like Baltic stouts, not like these, but just a really well brewed four four percent five percent stout. And um, those that that beer, I I don't know how it is over here, but you just do not see them in Norway. You never see a, a just a, a stout here. It's. Uh, which is a shame. It, it really is. But I think there's been a move in some ways in the UK towards what you've just described, away from those just straight down the line beer styles like a stout or an IPA, because um, you know a lot of these bottle shops, um, you know, will veer towards the kind of customers that are going to want, you know, a, a lambic or an imperial stout or a, a, a big hoppy neeper and all the rest of it and you know it i find that really sad because well i'll give you a good example from a, a brewery um from a, a friend of mine called the cheshire brew house um he's shane's you know runs a great brewery their beers are you know 
really a lot of them are straight up kind of english style beers and hebrews are you know a stout it's exceptional you know and and he used to struggle to sell it in large volumes in cask and stuff in the area he was in just because he was getting undercut a lot and and you know for those kind of beers in cask it can be quite hard to sell because there's a lot of competition he's one of the few breweries and that i've seen and this was before covid i've seen move those beer styles into 440 mil cans so up until that point i'd, I'd seen those beers i'm like i'll get i'll get around to trying shane's beers at some point and then he moved into cans the cans look really nice and he, he sent me some and i was just like these are amazing you know, the stout, i think it's like a four percent stout fantastic a burton style pale ale i can't remember what the abv is 4.4 or something absolutely phenomenal man how 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 magical is that when you kind of go full circle and there's so many beers and so many breweries out there and then you go back to something and it's like uh it's like uh catching up with an old friend almost or you know like god man it's been a long time since i've talked to that person but i really enjoy the conversation mm. or you go back to just a really well brewed basic style of beer and you're like holy shit um last time i was in the uk i kept having the same uh like and i'm not i'm not gonna name names but i kept having the same new england the same new england ipa from several breweries and it was uh mosaic and citra it was this mosaic and citra and um tasted like you know they probably put quite a bit of uh uh quite a quite a uh like added added some salts in the uh in the kettle um maybe maybe a bit of calcium chloride in the kettle but i had from like three different breweries i was like you know i kind of had the the glass out of the pint and i i thought somebody had gotten me the same beer that i was kind of like oh i've already had one of uh one of these and then um but i i realized like holy shit i've i've made this a very similar beer to this uh to this as well and it's like when we get on a when we get on a style as brewers you know and it, it catches and, and we all do that every one of us you know like you try a beer somewhere and you're like oh man i want to make something similar to this um and then you take that with you or <laughs> we're kind of a transient community and we a brewer will uh will move on to another brewery for some reason his brewery will close down or there'll be some political debate and then they'll go and make the exact same beer at the new brewery that yeah. they go to and you end up you end up like why does that beer taste different oh he used to be the head brewer at that brewery oh. yes i've heard that story a few times <laughs> that makes sense um, so, so just to round up then, um, what, where do you see the beer industry heading over the next few years and what do you think the biggest need is right now for the industry at the moment? Um, you know, that's, uh, that's, I wish I, I wish I had a, a magic crystal ball. Um, cause then I, I probably wouldn't be a, a, a brewer struggling, to, struggling all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I, I really, my my guess would be, I think we are going to see, as we talked about earlier in our conversation, I think we are going to see uh, breweries starting to return to pilsners and lagers. Um, I think, uh, I think this is, 
we're just starting to to see the the up uh, the upswing on this market. Um, I also I I think that COVID uh, that um, Corona is is going to kind of uh, call the herd a little bit. Um, there's going to be there's going to be uh, I feel that there's going to be fewer fewer breweries out there um, in the next two years. But the breweries that do survive are going to be um, amazing. And uh, I know um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but before, you know, in the craft beer industry, it used to be enough when I first got in just to have craft beer. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, you had to have craft beer and then you had to have an appealing label. But then you actually then you had to have craft beer and appealing label and actually good beer in the in the can. And now if you don't have the full picture, if you don't have the the good product, the good uh, the good design, the good marketing, um, good distribution, it's really, really, really hard to make it as an industry. And I've seen um, I've seen quite a few breweries that have just been that have had amazing beer and just nowhere to sell it you know like they're in at the at the other side i've seen breweries who've had pretty mediocre product but have had uh have had amazing um marketing and they they have uh they have reached for you know their 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 huge brands now so I, I think we're going to see fewer, uh, at least in Norway, I think we're going to see fewer breweries. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see a few more, um, few more approachable products or more approachable products coming out of those breweries. Mm. Real. Well, thanks for being on the show, Bo. Um, how can people find out more about Ausman and, and possibly even try your beers if they live outside of Norway? Oh man! Well, we we do come over to the UK every once in a while, so uh, you know, obviously, go through all the social media and and check out where we are. And if you ever make the trip to Trondheim, um, a, you or any of your listeners, we have some amazing breweries here and some amazing food. And uh, so, please stop by, come hang out, ask if I'm at the brewery. Uh, I'll. I'll Love to show uh, show anyone around who uh, who makes the trip all the way over from the UK, but look on social media um, and look on our website, uh, Ausman.no. Amazing, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of the Hopful Podcast was proudly sponsored by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts, and vehicles coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203.
Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,